summer comes, the river runs again. I hear the music of the ice cream man. I'm making sparks, I'm making brand new friends when summer comes. Well, hey there, folks. Hello, and welcome to the Strange Tonic Podcast. We're back. Yeah, I've said it before, but it's true. Sometimes life just happens and it takes a while, such as the, uh, I'll get into this maybe on a later podcast because there's a lot to cover here, as to why it's even more of a live room where I'm recording this from. Uh, anyways, this conversation, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I hope you do as well. It's with my friend Tim Bessler. Believe it or not, uh, we have never actually spoken. We just texted and messaged and stuff like that. Um, we know each other through mutual friends, and this was just something we've been trying to make happen for months, maybe even a year, and I'm glad we did. From there, we're going to go into the usual shout-outs here. So first of all, Pan Astral. Thank you, Pan Astral, for allowing us to use your music, feature your music on our podcasts. On this recording, we're rolling with When Summer Comes, because... At least here in Seattle today, we had a taste of spring. So summer's right around the corner. Maybe, maybe it'll happen. Yeah, so go to panastral.com to check out upcoming events. Panastral on iTunes, Panastral on Bandcamp, Panastral, you know, wherever you get your digital music. Also, we must give a shout out to our friend Alyssa, who made the wonderful graphic that we love, and I know a lot of you love, for this podcast and she started a new business not too long ago and you should support her it's little spruce design plus goods and you can head to littlesprucedesign.com again littlesprucedesign.com to check out and support her work from there as i said great conversation i really hope you enjoy it because i really enjoyed having it and uh Stick around to the end because we have a new star. Well, I'll let you discover that. Again, thanks for listening. Welcome back. Welcome if it's your first time. And a thank you. podcast i gave it a an explicit explicit rating from the get-go because we used uh, to curse a lot but uh my mom is one of i think we have like maybe 25 to 30 reliable listeners per episode and my mom is one of those and my her criticism of my writing is always it's too dense and too wordy and the podcast is always it was good you guys just cursed too much so we've been trying to curse less, but uh, asshole is something that I don't think she minds as much. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's kind of a. I, I was going to ask you that too. Is I, I don't. Well, I used to be uh, much more uh, effusive with my uh, emanations of, of bucks and shits and such, but you know, it's uh, 
it is what it is, you know, because you got to have your radio voice too. And I mean, I was on broadcast radio for uh, about two two years, and um, you know, doing did college radio. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I was technically in safe harbor, but just station policy was like, yeah, we don't, we just don't do that. Okay, because that's and kind got, of. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I just say one of the uh, <clears throat> one of the content, uh, one of the the that course was all the student run, right? You know, the engineer. Yeah. The, the guy, he was, you know. He's been doing stuff for a while. He was an older guy. He's uh, he's cool. But anyway, um, one of the content you know directors was like, "You can't say Nazi bitches in the air." I'm like, okay, was that a problem? <laughs> like, was that something you actually said, or just was that an example? I did. I did literally say those Nazi bitches. <laughs> I'm like, all right, buddy. And I had a couple of radio edits, and they got mad one time because I'm like, "No, this song says I'm fun, kid, loaded." <laughs> That's what the lyric says. I checked. And they're like, "You can't play that one." I'm like, all right, well, but I was after eight o'clock, so FCC could, you know, not do anything about it. It makes me think. Do you attribute that more to kind of? I don't want to say delusions of grandeur because that sounds mean, but that someone at the station was trying, like, they had, they wanted it to be a legit radio station where that wouldn't be set on air? Well, I mean, you know, you think about the rules of the rules, right? And so yeah. we've got, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be a liability to CSU because, you know, it's like I, I'm having a good time and I'm having this opportunity thanks to the student media organization of the university. So it's like any public institution that's not privately owned and can give the finger to whomever they don't like. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that during the, uh, the official time, but, um, you know, anybody who's not a fan of, of what I say on, and I had, I, I did a few controversial things and I had a few people call in angrily, but, um, you know, that's, that's a proper, uh, college radio show or an evening show that's, uh, industrial metal, you know. I was going to ask, like, what was the music you played where you had things to say with like Nazi bitches? Yeah, there was uh, there was a song that I played that was uh, I can't remember who did the song. The song is called Fascist Smash, mm. Blow the Belt, and um, <laughs> I can't remember the uh, it was Kill Switch Click, the name of the band, and um, I think or maybe it wasn't that one. That one's hard because the the chorus that was Smash this race. Wait, no, what was it? Yeah, smash this fascist, racist bullshit, you know, and then the yeah. verses. Um, <laughs> appropriate for this podcast, right? So <laughs> it is. Uh, we spent, so, the first, if you can call it a season, was just kind of Michelle and I kind of talking about whatever. That was the whole point of, I mean, hence the strange tonic, was when I was yeah. trying to find something to write about, I was like, well, what do I want to write? Like, you know, like, I was like, wait. Do I really want to label it? No, I just kind of want to write whatever I feel like. And I, yeah. at times, want to write about music. At times, want to write about film, although I'm not very good at that. And, yes, I write a lot about politics, but I also don't want to be like, hey, we're a whatever this political what? ideal is. Yeah. Uh, so, but season two, was it? Yeah, was season two. Ended up kind of just... By happen, I don't want to say by happenstance because certainly it was driven by uh, actual <laughs> circumstance. Right, yeah. And you could have been the other 
it's like, okay, like, like, yeah, we keep reading all these things and they're going, hey, some of this stuff is uh, what goes down or like what leads to or has similar characteristics to fascism. And that ended up being season two. So we read an awful lot by, I mean, I'll probably mention, organically, I would have mentioned him later on in the conversation, uh, Timothy Snyder, who writes an awful lot about that. We read books by his contemporaries and stuff like that as well. Uh, This season, although I guess this is going to be kind of a break from it, uh, is, has been about... I don't want to say deconstructing political heroes, but kind of this whole, where did this mythology come from? How much of it is true? How much of it is not? But also then kind of going, hey, we didn't realize that, for example, there was a lot more to the John Brown story than than either of us knew. <laughs> like, yeah. huh. I give guests this opportunity to introduce themselves with as little or as much information as they would like. So, uh, <laughs> please feel free to introduce yourself, Tim. I'm Tim Bessler. Um, I am a former candidate for the Colorado House of Representatives and current uh, software uh, data analytics developer for a uh, large multinational computer corporation that you've heard of. And um, my opinions are my own and my employers. And also, um, yeah, I do a lot of stuff. So <laughs> That's a... Very good introduction. Uh, I, I guess I should. Well, let's preface this. It's not a like coming clean thing. It's we've never actually met. We've never, as we said before, actually even spoken on anything but social media, and we know each other because of a mutual friend who you worked with at that college radio station. Uh, and I did not know that you ran for the Colorado State uh, Legislature. Yeah, and actually, I mean, that's that's why I was helping uh, with uh, that person's uh, campaign for city council, I believe, also, yeah? Yes, yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but to say worked in is a grossly overstates what I actually did, but I did a couple internships, as did, uh, Michelle did one, at the Greeley Chamber of Commerce. Um, Hers was in the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Mine both times was on the political side. The first time I did legislative affairs, and the second time I did more of a kind of city and county uh, election analysis, if you will, even though most of it was just trying to get candidates to show up to events at the same time, so... The stuff yeah, interns the, usually do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cat herding exercise. I've been, I've obviously uh, been in and out of those shoes before. I've actually I've done it on the other side too. I was, I was um, involved with the Larimer GOP executive board for two years. So after I ran, and um, it's also, you know, during that time there was the whole. I was actually uh, leading into the Trump campaign, so that was quite interesting, being on the ground level of that political apparatus and uh, seeing how things changed from, say, March of 2016 to uh, November. I bet, because my my second stint with the Chamber of Commerce in Greeley, which, um, Tim, I think 
even though we don't technically know each other, I think you know my politics well enough to know that I'm kind of, I don't want to say like out of my element when it comes to the politics of Weld County, but I'm certainly not within the mainstream of the yeah. politics there. Uh, it was, I mean, this was right after Obama was president-elect. When actually it took, took case, sorry, it took place during the election, and then slightly thereafter. But he hadn't become president yet, and there were people. Actually, I may be misremembering the timeline, <laughs> but almost all the candidates were trying to claim that they were the Republican nominee, and I kept having to put in emails like, "Hey, you're more than welcome to put that in your campaign." platform and in, on your website but it's there's no it's not it's factually incorrect because there is no actual primary there is right. like the republicans yeah. did not get behind any like certain candidate and there was a guy who emailed out uh, sorry no he mailed out a postcard of Glenn Beck's 912 mm-hmm. movement and so to me that was utterly fascinating I was like what what is happening here? And I forgot to message you back last night about this, but uh, I remember being so impressed. Uh, I kind of have two separate stints as a college student, even though I never at least was not. I started off as a music major and then realized I really liked the performance ensembles but didn't like the actual classes. And in this case, uh, it wasn't his fault. It was just, I should not have gone to a school where classical saxophone was taught over jazz. Because Uh, I don't, I hate to say this, I don't like classical saxophone. And it's not that I don't like classical music. I always play clarinet in those groups. uh, I just, you know, (laughs) go ahead. My sister played clarinet. I actually played, uh, I still have it. My, uh, I'm almost looking. I'm looking at it through a closet door. I actually play um, alto sax and I play berry sax uh, myself. So, I sold my berry sax a few years, oh, almost ten years oh. ago. Actually, yeah. I wish I had had one uh, ten years ago. I was actually in a gigging band, and I'm sure this is kind of probably where you're going. It's like you can get in a gigging band without being in, uh, you know, classical music study. I think it helps yeah. a yep. lot. But the fun part. Uh, is the gig right? Is is playing music, writing mm-hmm. music? I've I've been in a number of bands actually. Uh, you know where I was I was you know I'm a guy in a band and I'm also been band leader. You know I've played everything except drums if uh, synthesizers don't count. So um, I think it counts. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean I, I'm not a I've, I've been a percussionist actually. Ah. Occasion, so. anyway, yeah, you know it's. Uh, <laughs> That's the fun part, right? Is the getting the message out there or experiencing the music as a and and the theory is very helpful for composition and technique too. But um, you know, like and I took music appreciation as an elective in college, and it's like you know I enjoyed I like classical music a lot. Um, Me yeah. too. <laughs> Just some at least. jazz. Some I guess it depends on the school of jazz that you're into. Like I'm not really a Miles Davis fan. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on that. <laughs> I like Duke Ellington. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, um, oh gosh, uh, Mr. Jordan's in town. Louis Jordan. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, he's great, you know. So just and that's more of the, the really old school rhythm and blues type stuff, and uh, you know the big band and stuff from there. So different flavors, same instrument. It's true, and that's I think one of the things about jazz is you can just kind of do whatever, and at a certain point it morphed out of what is jazz, like, hey, is this music played on a wind instrument that's you know isn't vocal? I guess it's jazz, like, and I suppose yeah. so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and guitar driven. It must be rock. I actually got to play a lot of because I think it's always popular in college, but I feel like especially people for our age group, jam bands were quite popular in the you know early to mid two thousands. So I'm a because uh, I, I can play guitar <laughs> too. I'm, I'm not very good yeah. at it, but. Uh, yeah. I'm being able to play it. saxophone in weird keys got me a lot of gigs. Yeah. And knowing how chord structures worked without, like, yeah, I knew the theory, but I'm like, I know how guitar players work, man. Uh, yeah. But, so yeah, I started out that way, and then I was like, well, screw it, I'll go back to my political science major, which is what I started as because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then, this isn't going to come to news as anybody, I actually almost got kicked out of school. <laughs> and kind of almost went on tour with a band and then it fell apart and it was like, all right, well, what do I do now? And I'm almost done. <laughs> that's right. Which was really all I ever wanted to do was go on tour and experience that. Then I was probably going to be done with it because I, I knew what being on tour was probably going to be like. And took a class that was taught by a U.S. Naval Academy graduate and he was actually kind of on loan from CU Boulder, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> being at uh, University of Northern Colorado. And I was so interested in the way he taught, the way that he was like, hey, um, if you are if you have something else you'd have to do, just email me. Like, don't do it all the time, but I'm not going to hold it against you. Just communicate. Like, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. And was super just kind of, he tried to be honest and earnest about like, yeah, this is what I think but there isn't really data to back this up. When there was, he'd hammer you on it if you did not go with the data. And then from there, I went from being this kind of like, I don't know, do I really want to even be in college, to I went from being kicked out of school to graduating with, I think, a 3.1, if I remember correctly. And so, long story short, when I got back into college, I'm like, man, these double majors, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, like how do they do I, it? <laughs> I had the profitable one in business, and I had the, the arts and you know, arts and, and humanities with the foreign language and literature. And actually, honestly, my my main uh, German professor was a lot like that. Like, you know, he had done some computer stuff before, but um, you know, he's just been uh, a German teacher for so long, and uh, it's kind of like, you know, and it, it was kind of one of those things like, you know, you've got professors is like you go to class and you leave class and it was like we'd have stomp tish so it's like okay it's wednesday we're having a couple of beers at the pizza joint and um, you know it's like and that it, it's a different relationship right Where you, and especially being you know he's a sharp like you know I, I, <laughs> my campaign manager told me he's like you know i'm living proof that you don't have to be a genius to have a phd um, since he was a, a professor of marketing that's true <laughs> um, you know but then this other guy like you know super smart guy um you know, and, and 
same thing. He's like, you know, we would talk about various topics, you know, and it was kind of like, well, uh, being a data-driven guy, being an academician, it's uh, just goes with the territory that you're going to look for peer-reviewed stuff and data and, and logic. So it's definitely, uh, and that's coming from, you know, the, the liberal arts college, right? Mm -hmm. And just, oh, well, you know, hard science or engineering or, you know, business, which is, um, you know, and I'm not in marketing, but I, I like to say I have a BS and BS sometimes. And it's kind of what it is. Yeah. But, you know, there's the, the liberal arts has that tradition um, going back to, you know, uh, Hegel and, uh, well, you know, that's all I can think of, uh, Hume and, and uh, Aristotle. And, you know, there's yeah. just the whole history of, um, you know, well-rounded education and the Renaissance man and all that kind of stuff culminating with a lot of the, uh, you know, popular idea smiths, Adam Smith. Yeah, I, I used to hate on my political science degree because, you know, I don't work in a politics-related field. I work for, like yourself, a large international company, and uh, I do not do political science. Although, I guess I do talk to people and forge relationships every day with you know, uh, varying success, we'll call it that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that was a very good decision on your part because liberal arts, I think they're maligned way too much. It is, you may not go into what you study as a field, but learning how to learn and you kind of keep your Which mind I'm, open to stuff and also being technical is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you might not have otherwise had and learning about something that's born to yourself which granted like my uh you know two of my great-grandfathers were born in germany so studying german is just like well you know my um cultural origin right it's like mm -hmm. they came here uh you know in the at the turn of the the last century and um you know it's like, you know it'd, it'd be cool it'd be fun you know and it's like it, it's been occasionally used it's not as useful if i'd studied spanish or chinese but um you know, it's occasionally useful for work and it's entertaining for my own hobbies, you know, with, with music. So, you know, uh, modern and older German music and uh, uh, war history and 20th century history is interesting. And just the literature aspect, you know, is um, um, Goethe being, you know, the Shakespeare of Germany, essentially. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, you know, uh, all sorts of allusions and, and references and, you know, the. Uh, these types of things. So it's just a good thing to have. And it, it, it rounds me out, and um, it's it's good for everyone, I think. It's, it's I would recommend anyone go double major with the, the, the sciences and the arts. Oddly enough, I, uh, I've i been on this... Forget me. Uh, do you know the name Arthur Brooks or Arthur C. Brooks, the former president of AEI? Oh, um... I am familiar with AEI, but not Arthur Brooks' version. Okay. I kind of stumbled ass backwards into him, like maybe a month or so ago, where I got really, really bored, I guess you could say, of listening to left-wing podcasts or podcasts that were done by, like, mainly to be partisan. Or, like, well, that I thought, like, these guys are smart. I'm like, okay, this is, this is, I'm, I'm tired of this, like. There's got to be more, <laughs> and I uh, started. Like, oh, go ahead. I'll say there's like I, I, I'm 
not opposed to reading any uh, uh, intellectually stimulating source, but then it's kind of like, I recall uh, every article I've read from Jacobine is just like, come on, dude, like, <laughs> yeah, like there's, it's kind of like, you know, read more than one book you yell at, at uh, Christian fundamentalists and it's like these guys are Marxist, you know, idiots. So, uh, very intellectual idiots. <laughs> the same, you know, I'll read The Atlantic. I'll read, uh, uh, you know, we listen to NPR most commonly. If we're going to listen to any radio news mm-hmm. or politically oriented thing, and it's like I consider myself a lot disaffiliated from the Republican Party and I'm now libertarian officially, but philosophically forever. But, you know, and it's that kind of a thing where it's like, yeah, I'll listen to anybody that's reasonable. I'm not going to go there's some sources that are obviously garbage from all sources and all sides, but you just yeah. uh, very concisely put into like a few sentences what I've been trying to tell people <laughs> for months now, which is like, yeah, like I, if it's presented constructively, honestly, in good faith, and it's not just sure this is bad, but what about this? Like you know the whole what about what aboutism thing. Like it's just, that is definitely the or just yelling at each other. Like I'm, I'm so tired of that. And so what I found was listening to, and I'll get back. I'll, I'll circle back to this in a second. Uh, having listened to kind of what they call themselves center right folks, uh, mainly I've been really into the Bulwark uh, and Bulwark Plus with Charlie Sykes. Sykes had on. Arthur Brooks, who wrote this book called Love Your Enemies, and also a, a book called uh, The Heart of a Conservative. And, you know, it's... Brooks just extols the virtues of... And not just virtues, but how it really just helps you to be less, con- like, filled with contempt. And, you know, because at least when you're angry at somebody, you're, you're angry because you want to help them. When it's yeah. contempt, it's you're just a jerk. Like you don't even know what you're talking yeah. about. And that I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. And so, circling back here, I listened to this episode tonight where he's talking about how to be happier at work. So, listening to you talk about how your majors and stuff like has fueled your passions, that's exactly what they talked about. Where it's, hey, um, sure, like you can get this degree that'll get, a, get you a job where maybe you'll use that knowledge all the time. But work isn't everything, and yeah, you don't want to necessarily chase your passions when it comes to work, but you still want to have things that, like, we're always happier when we're good at what we like doing <laughs> or what we want to be yeah. good at. Uh, so that <laughs> that just, I think, also hit that nail on the head. So, as I said, I have a note here, and feel free to tell me to F off because this is a super, super broad question. And I don't think myself I could answer it in a way that would not sound mealy-mouthed or strange. But how do you describe your politics? I know you said you're more of a libertarian, but like, kind of like what are some of the things that, I guess, you think are, what would you call it, guideposts? Or just, I guess... Here we go. Foundations of your politics. So, um, we live in a culture where uh, there's certain 
I guess you got to be attentive to Shibboleth <laughs> and identity politics as much as the right hates identity politics. They are extremely guilty of engaging. We must um, sort ourselves, I, yes. Yeah, so among among people who I would consider intellectually uh, armed, uh, I would say classical liberal. Uh, in the tradition of, say, Tom, Thomas Paine is one of my great heroes. So uh, he's very much a proponent of the idea that you can never coerce, you must always convince people. Um, uh, Kant, right? So you've got the categorical mm-hmm. imperative, and so... You must always treat people as ends in and of themselves and never as means to an end and acting always in a way that you would wish would be a universal law. So to me, it's um, very much a a live and let live. I think um, libertarianism has kind of a interesting connotation just because it's been a a demonized term a lot of the time because you've got, you know, on one hand, you've got, um, you know, the organized, uh, and I don't want to badmouth Democrats, necessarily i got <laughs> i meant and to but there's definitely an element within that that's you know the, the propaganda machine and if everyone's got the propaganda way but it's like oh well libertarians blah blah i mean and it doesn't help that we don't we have uh anarcho-capitalists and caps running around um proving their stereotypes right mm-hmm. so but I, I would summarily i'd say classical liberalism uh in the vein of like I said, Thomas Paine, and then if you go all the way modern, you've got people like Friedrich Hayek, um, Milton Friedman, who I didn't really appreciate as much until more recently. Um, Interesting. And then it kind of, and it's, it's more economic, right? Because mm-hmm. and that's something too that's been going on. That there's all this talk about left and right, and I'm a big subscriber of the political compass, or a uh, a Cartesian plot of politics where you've got um, two dimensions, and you've got left and right for economics of the more communist and more capitalist, I guess, summarily you could say, or more individualist versus collectivist. But then you've also got authoritarian versus libertarian, rather anti-authoritarian. And um, I think the people who I most agree with are the people who would say, you know, the uh, authoritarian versus libertarian axis is much more important than the uh, collective versus individual uh, schools of thought as far as economics and, and means of production and things like that. Because I find, honestly, I find more in common, I think, with people who are maybe more left-leaning but have a very strong aversion to um, authority and not just authority, but um, authoritarianism. And uh, the father knows best mm-hmm. just because, I mean, if we look at anything right now, we have uh, you know people talking about storming Area 51 as a fun, cheeky event with, Kyle's and the Rudo runners, and they're like, we need more ammunition. We don't have enough bullets for every attendee. And uh, then you know, <laughs> Capitol Police, uh, you know, it, it's terrible that uh, at least one officer, well, two if you count mm-hmm. uh, yes. this weekend, but, you know, lost their lives. And, um, you know, that was not cheeky and fun. And that was, they're like, you know, well, let's just have uh, officers Fife and Bar Brady take care of security for this day. And that didn't go well. There's more to it than that. You can't really blame them directly, but just the true. It was insane, and um, it's nuts. So, and, and and that's all antithetical to my. You know, same thing. It's coercion. It's, uh, political violence is universally wrong because it uh, disregards the personal agency of other people. And um, you know, I think bringing those tenets back together, uh, it should be very simple. Any any political view or platform should ultimately boil down to a handful of very simple precepts like the uh, sanctity of personal 
uh, agency or, or person, self-ownership, some people would say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like the term. The personal <laughs> agency. Like, you get to choose what happens to you. You are the master of your own destiny. Um, and you're free to do whatever you like, so long as you are respecting the same right for others. And that's very much just applied categorical imperative. A few things here. So, first of all, I should have mentioned this. Uh, do not worry about offending anybody with sort of generalized ad hominems. Like, because yeah. I think some of my questions was... might come across that way. So do not, that's, do, do not worry about that. Like you can say like, yeah, this is, this is something that comes out like that's fair. Um, <laughs> so don't worry about that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just, give me a second here to put this in perspective into words. I think in a lot of ways, oh, okay, I, I found it. I, to your point about agency, this has been something that's been gnawing at me, not just since what happened last Wednesday, but uh, kind of as you see this weird... I don't want to call it amorphous, but this weird, I honestly don't know how to understand this kind of alt-right self-victimization that has found its way into kind of the, if you'll, Tim, if you'll allow it, the kind of the mainstream that, because Fox News right now seems to be the Republican mainstream, mainstream, not the conservative mainstream, um, where this, you know, you made me do it, I had no choice, like, this lack of agency has really just, I, I don't know what to think of it. And I sent my mom a text this weekend because she used to work a lot with shelters for victims of domestic violence. Like, yeah. like what, what's, what's the parallel here? And I think my mom is, well, not I think my mom is a much better person than I am. So she, <laughs> I think it was like, you know what? I'm going to spend the weekend watching movies and thinking about positive stuff and not thinking about this. Yeah. So uh, I, I'll be interested if she messages me back or I can do my own research and not just text my mom. So I agree with you there. And one of the things that, and this is why I was saying, like, if you were to ask me the same question I asked you, I don't know how if I could give a simple response, but I do really like what you said about it boils down to a few simple kind of beliefs, which, again, sorry, I, I, I go into, like, for as much as Michelle and I are doing this whole uh, hero thing, I've been so into Brooks recently that I can't stop talking about him. Yeah. And at one point, he talks about this idea of there being complex versus complicated problems. And as you said, like at a certain point, it comes down to a few things. Yes. Like several, I'm going to use a bad word. A bunch of shit can go wrong. That will make a complex problem implode. Um, Yeah. The analogy that he uses is football. Like, it's either who wins or loses. Like it's not hard, but like there's so many moving parts. What I think we do so often, and as I said, as kind of a 
generally to the left kind of orient, oriented person. I think my folks, I'll own them, do this too often where it's, let's make this complicated. Like, no, no don't do that. <laughs> let's, let's come back and say, like, hey, no, a lot of this comes down to can we agree with each other? Can we find that we have shared values? Even if we don't have shared, maybe, shared values on the same, what we're guess we don't have the same desired specific outcomes. It is, we all want to be happier. We all want our families to do well. Uh, one of the things that I keep coming back to is this idea of, and I think this is where I, I kind of have a hard time. You mentioned this with the economic kind of outlook that has at times overwhelmed conservatives, if you'll allow that, where it's rather than focusing, which I think we should, not we should, we maybe could all agree on, that it's a focus on equality of opportunity. And since that hasn't necessarily been, like, well, we may, may have been a professed foundation, hasn't really been focused on. Now we have this movement on the left towards equal outcomes, which uh, I will I will say this: I am not a favor of it. I think we need to get the equal uh, opportunities fixed first. Um, yeah, so that's that's no, what I'm that, at there. That, yeah, and that's kind of a thing too. There's um, there's a guy named Frederick Bastiat who wrote. Uh, he was a you know intellectual author from the mid to late 19th century. And he wrote, uh, I guess it's a pamphlet or a book, but it's called The Law. And one thing that was big in there was he talked about um, the socialists, right? Mm -hmm. and, and he talked about it in the sense of, it's a political opposition to him because he's really kind of a, a, a European liberal, right? To where it's like, you know, the state sucks. And uh, that's really the big thing is don't, don't mistake my my spite for the state as love of big corporation. Mm -hmm. One of those things of um, recognizing the validity of the problem doesn't mean that the government can solve it. And honestly, uh, I would say it does a disservice to a lot of these causes to just say, oh, well, the government will fix it. It's like mm -hmm. this is the same government that has, uh, um, has fucked up a lot of things, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> bluntly, you know, you look at, um, uh, there's so many examples. But some of these problems, it's like, oh, well, these are big problems. And it's like, yeah, these problems are way, way too complicated to just simply throw money at the government to throw significantly at that. At the you moment. do it. <laughs> but I, I get, and that's the big thing, too. And, and where you find the alignment is, you know, you talk to people, so, you know what? We both agree. And it, this sounds kind of, kind of, uh, silly saying it, I guess, but it's, uh, we both agree that this is a problem and it's a real serious problem. And I think that's the first step. It's just kind of like just the way politics are so divisive right now. It's insane. And I've kind of been wondering, I've had to ask folks who are, you know, a generation or two older than us and say, has it always been like this? Progressively worse. Um, you know, uh, and it's, it's, has it always been this way? 
And the answer is no, it hasn't. I mean, you've got, you know, even in the 90s, you had, um, uh, God, I can't remember the guy's name now, the, um, the House Majority Leader under Clinton. Newt Gingrich. <laughs> well, before, uh, so the guy who... who oh. But Gingrich would have, um, you know, Cordial, or Reagan, you know, would have, uh, he had an opposition uh, House leader, right? Maybe Tip O'Neill? Uh, yeah, actually, I think that's right. But it's like they had a cordial working relationship. Yep. And then, uh, um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia had mm-hmm. a very good personal relationship, despite that they had entirely, you know, transverse or opposite um, political schools, right? You know, and they yeah. come from different angles. And that also is kind of one of the things where if they agree on something, you should pay attention. Yeah. And they're probably right. But it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, there's this, uh, there's a lot of people who are real, real wrapped up that there's a black and white morality. And mm-hmm. it's important to realize that there's like an orange and blue morality out there as well. Um, and I was listening to, um, what was it? I was listening to something recently that was talking about that of just like what actually constitutes, there was a, there was a guy who didn't talk and it was about, uh, he was talking about Ayn Rand and, and uh, I'm not a big fan of Ayn Rand actually, which might sound weird. Um, I'm cool with that. <laughs> where I, 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 but you know, it's a lot of people. Oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a libertarian. Yes, yeah, Ayn Rand suck. Like, Whoa, wait, that's like that's heresy. That's straight up. <laughs> anyway, so this guy's talking about, um, you know, he's at some objectivist conference, but it was a really good talk. You know, that's the same thing. Like, yeah, I'm gonna listen to the guy because somebody referenced it in a you know group post or something. But he's talking about um, questioning religion questioning moral uh, frameworks, and that's the core of individualism, which is what the right is supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. Questioning both. It's just like a tr- arriving at conclusions because they're logical and you thought about them. And most of us, I think, uh, based on our just our social hardwiring as, as, you know, what we are as humans, you know, homo, uh, homo sapiens, that we generally are kind of wired similarly and that we should all generally come to similar ish conclusions about the way things are and should be. And that informs our, our approach to the world and that nobody in particular, and this is a big problem lately and it's been a big problem in different spheres, but is politically a big problem lately more than even 10 or 15 years ago is that um, more and more groups are more and more assertively claiming uh, a monopoly mm-hmm. um, as opposed to these people have different ideas about how to solve this problem that we all agree is a problem. And that's where it gets to be. It sounds silly to have to say so, but it's kind of like, we got to get back to basics on this stuff to where we got to find this common ground, you know, and it's, it's, it's being able to go out and have a beer with your, you know, opposite party person. You should be able to, you know, it used to be a, a trope that you're like, Oh, we've got the, the odd couple here. We got, you know, that's fair. Let's, Reagan and O'Neill, right? It's like yep. they could go have a cheeseburger and have a good time and go golfing or something, and it would be fine. And now you've got, you know, Donald Trump refusing to hand over power or, you know, even acknowledge the inauguration of Joe Biden and do the regular thing versus, I mean, I, I recently, and it was relevant because of this, this is the thing going on, but somebody had uh, posted a picture that was surely taken by Bill Clinton or one of his aides or something, but it was a picture it was just on the, the White House, you know, letterhead memo. And it was just a handwritten note from uh, 
George H.W. Oh, yeah. Bill Clinton. And it's basically like, you know, it's really, I'm always humbled, even this last day that I'm here walking into this office. And, um, you know, I think you will be too. And I wish all the best for you. And it was just, it was a really human letter. You know, it was mm-hmm. from one human being to another taking on a great responsibility. And we're not, you're not going to see that. I mean, it's like, uh, I would half expect, you know, Joe Biden to walk into a bathroom and find someone at an upper decker, you know? I mean, that's kind of the, the shift that we've gone to. Of, of the, just everything. And, and I, you know, I'm obviously not a big fan of Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously not a big fan of Donald Trump either. But um, I think there's a, a level of professionalism there just the statesmanship you know the lost art it's it really is and it's i could talk a lot more about that even in just being a candidate for office at the state level than i met it gets it's insane at the federal level i wrote a blog a couple weeks ago back before we went on the break and i kind of got in this habit of doing like these nightly here's some of my experiences from random stuff like here's here are my thoughts and this was my time both, you know, as I said, not working in politics as an intern. And then as a, my, some of my favorite times in college were when I was finishing up my undergrad and was around all these people who did not agree with me, but were in many cases a lot more well-informed and a lot more intelligent than I was and could just express stuff. I'm like, man, I don't agree with that. But boy, do I respect it. And the way that we, it was civil, like there was never this like finger pointing and yelling and stuff like that. It was, this is really fun. Like, I wish everyone could have this. And that's kind of where I've been recently where it's like, why, why can't we have this? Like what I actually titled my blog piece was, we can do better because we can. Um, and I was, Tim, I'm thinking you might have my social media bugged, but I was having a conversation with a friend who voted for Trump in 2016, came back, said it was he regretted it at one point, but then voted for him again this time around. And he's a he's a smart guy, he's a talented guy, he's funny. I really value his friendship, and I've just been kind of trying to pick his brain and just have a friendly chat with him about this stuff and. I told him that same thing you just talked about. Like, we have shared values. It, we really do. Like, and he goes, I don't believe it. Like, family values, America first, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, we really do. We just are trying to, for whatever reason, decide who owns it. And that's exactly. a problem. <laughs> it's no, like, there's no, to bring up what you said earlier, like, to say identity politics isn't a thing is wrong. To say it is not something we should watch is also probably misguided. But you don't have to bring necessarily identity politics into our shared values. I think that's kind of a mistake. It's no, you know, for example, people of color, it's not that they don't love America. They just have a dis- different relationship a different kind of experience with it. And 
I've been really struggling with this recently is how do you go about trying to get people who are very defensive whenever stuff like that comes up say, no, we, we do have shared values. Like, how do you bridge that gap? And I, uh, Tim, I hate to say it. I have no real kind of successes right now, but, uh, I mean, do you have any there? (laughs) I do. I do. Oh, good, good. One of the comments, so I love guns. I'm, it's one of my main hobbies. I shoot a lot. I build guns. I'm almost done building one from scrap metal that was uh, formerly a submachine gun in Finland. And, um, you know, it's all legal and everything. But, um, and it's fun. I like it. It's interesting. It's part of the, just, I like it. I know people that'll say, well, you can, not to me, but like to other people, it's like, well, you can't be a liberal. You own guns. And it's just kind of, that's the thing. <laughs> well, guns are owned by the right. It's like, I've been going around saying, I'm like, especially people I know who are more left-leaning that are idiots. It's like, you should probably own a gun. They're like, well, and some of them are like, oh yeah, I've got, I'm like, oh good, you know, and other people are like, well, you know, and it's something we talk about. But I think even just from there, making those relationships, one of the things that people have been um, conditioned to do, uh, because that's what the media does, it's just the common thing, um, you know, social media is really geared towards this, is the echo chamber, mm-hmm. and getting to yell past person they're talking to not just talk but yell past them because people oftentimes and i i mean i said this to a friend of mine in college and like she brought it up recently and she's like you're one of the first people that told me this um and made me realize i was doing it but um and i think you know chuck Palahniuk probably wrote this in fight club or something but listening <laughs> and, and versus listening to respond and it's like are you hearing or are you just waiting to construct a counter argument or start talking again and it's like, if you can communicate to people, it's like, listen, I really want to understand, like, I'm, this is without judgment. I'm just, I'm curious, like, and, and giving people that agency, right? Like, I've, you know, and this came up in a Facebook post for me recently, because, you know, saying whatever about the current events, um, you know, it's like, you know, I, there are people I know that voted one way or the other, and they have their reasons. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson said, you know, I've never found a difference of opinion, whether in politics, religion, or any other matter to be grounds for withdrawing from a friend. And I think that's one thing that we need to remember is that mm-hmm. our, our neighbors and our friends have different opinions, and that's okay. Um, you know, it's not okay, maybe if they're literally neo-Nazis. But, um, you know, it's it's people have their reasons for doing what they did. Um you know, as much to, to kind of quote Ayn Rand anyway, uh, they have <laughs> rational self-interest. You know, she wasn't wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are going to act in their own self-interest. They may have some altruistic motives and things that they do, but ultimately those are going to boil down to some degree of self-interest because none of us are, you know, you don't have to be Jesus as Front 242 would tell us. Um, you know, <laughs> that's just how... And it's, it's a matter of... Um, understanding that, viewing people, giving them their personal agency, and saying, "Can you, um, you know, can you tell me, just what were your motivations here? Why?" Because uh, a lot of people would say, "Oh, well, you know," and that's kind of the thing. Like you can, yes. you can lead with those criticisms they're already expecting, and say, "Hey, um, I know you're not a racist. I know you're not, you know, a communist, um, but." 
but maybe tell me, you know, what, what were your main motivations? Like, and a lot of the time it'll be like, well, I just hate the other guy. It's like, okay, well, I get that. You know, I, that's not how I voted, but, um, that's, that's why those people that voted it. And I think you need to give them the, the dignity as a person to say that, yes, you know what, you have the moral agency, you have the right to make those decisions. And I, um, you have the right to be convinced of, you know, another, uh, grounds. And sometimes, you know, um, there's conversations I've had where it doesn't feel productive or maybe I even forgot and I've, people will come back and, or I'll say the same thing to somebody myself. It's like, you know, um, somebody said something to me a long time ago, or, you know, you told me this a long time ago and then it finally clicked for me, uh, why or what that meant, or I thought about it. And that's kind of the thing is like, you can tell people, you can make an argument, you can try to convince them. And, um, you know, another one to Thomas Paine said, you know, there was no, there was never an idea so irres so irresistibly obvious that all men believed it at once and that conviction works more slowly upon some than others and that the purpose of a revolution is to instruct and not to destroy. And I think that's something, there's a lot of political revolutions going on right now in, in small scales and obviously in much larger scales and more literal senses. It's, it's, you know, there's a cusp of that. That's, it's a big concern right now. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to take it as an opportunity to instruct and to convince and not to destroy and coerce. And I think letting people know that helps them to feel comfortable um, expressing their agency and sharing that with you and having a, a moment of being a peer instead of uh, an, op an opponent. That is a... Uh... I don't want to be simplistic here. That's very much a mic drop moment, Tim. Um, <laughs> but no, I guess and I'm totally on board with that too, because we, I, in my different political explainer iterations on social media have gone from, Hey, I've got facts. Hey, I've got facts plus more facts. Hey, I almost went for a while, like, and I'm embarrassed, but I'm, I'm going to own up to it. Like, I'm going to go full uh, Christopher Hitchens mode here, where I'm going to beat you with facts and wit. And guess how that went? Fairly poorly. And now I'm kind of just more of this, like, whether it's let's talk politics or, like, I just want to hear what you think. And maybe we can go from there. Um, and... I really like this too, the whole like, yeah, we're kind of, we're driven by our own, what, what was your term, Tim, before I get it wrong? Uh, self-interest, like, you had a... Yeah, uh, rational self-interest is a, a yeah. term of art that's patented by the Rand Institute, but yeah. I have a very good friend uh, who I've known since middle school, we played in bands together, like, back to middle school, high school, even in college. And I was just exasperated at one point because for some reason we were just mainly shooting like tweets back and forth of look at this, like look what this a-hole said, look what this a-hole said, because we're diametrically opposed, I suppose, when you talk about politics. And he kept shooting me memes and I was like, I, I'm, I, I can't, keep doing this like 
this is offensive and I I know you think it's humor, but I also don't want to explain it to you because I just knew it wouldn't do anything. And then a couple months went by and I just let those texts go. Like, no, I don't want to lose this friendship though. Like I right. I love this guy. And so I sent him a text saying, hey, like, I, and I owned up to it. It wasn't like, your politics are shitty. Because that wasn't it. It was, I let something that doesn't really matter, especially in our relationship, get in the way of something I value. And it, I didn't do that because I wanted to be a better person. I did that because I wanted to be happier and know this guy better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, um, so I have a toddler. And actually, uh, this is a really operative moment here um, <laughs> dealing with difficult people with difficult political opinions not insurmountable ones but difficult ones um, it's a lot like dealing with toddlers and in some cases as I've been doing right now it's simply distract and redirect because when you've got a toddler <laughs> coming in you can just give them a piece of candy and send them back to mommy so I will have to go and, and attend to it a little bit Yes, but, um, but you know it's just that kind of thing and um, honestly, uh, there was, uh, it's called The Emotional Life of Toddlers, and it's an audiobook that I've gotten most of the way through. But it's interesting <laughs> because dealing with people who are adults um, is actually, there's a lot of analogs to dealing with them uh, because some people are just irrationally rule. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hardwired uh, a little bit less emotional than most people, or at least you know, in the traditional bed. Um uh, a little, little aspy sometimes, yeah. But uh, that it's it's really a good analog I found because you look at how people are reacting, and it's like people are angry and they have feel they have big feelings, and that's okay. And you just gotta let people in a safe environment um, work through their feelings. You know, acknowledge that they're their feelings about it because, and it's also a very much like a perception equals reality, right? That's how people work. We're not mm -hmm. inherent. Most of us, and nobody perfectly all the time, but most of us, a lot of the time are not capable of uh, extricating our own personal strong feelings from the reality of the situation. It's like, it takes time when it personally affects you to step back and be um, dispassionately objective, like a scientist, right? To look at the facts dispassionately evaluate evidence and make conclusions based on that and not jump to conclusions or try to make your evidence fit your conclusion because that feels good emotionally. And um, just with the toddlers, it's like, and with anybody, really, it's a good extension for any because toddlers are people. But it's just saying, you know what? You have feelings about that and that's valid. Your reaction is valid. Um, and then it's just, it's the reaction um, of what you do with it and how you do with it, you know? It's that's the difference, right? As you give people mm -hmm. time to to it and be angry about it, and then instead of shooting the messenger, then you can have a productive conversation. Uh, maybe the tempers aren't so hot, and um, and in some cases, you know, there's just some people that you may have a difficult time talking with about these things. And, I'm going to add one quick thing to your point, and then we'll uh, finish this off. I was just going to say, in the whole uh, you know, toddler comparison, and for, uh, object with this if you feel so feel uh, free. Yeah, feel free to object what? with this if you feel like it. 
but uh, it's not to devalue anybody because toddlers, just like anybody else, well, not anybody else, but hopefully like anybody else, they're just trying to find ways to better understand the world. Yes. And, and I, I don't mean to be condescending at all in that term. Oh, no, I didn't think you did. I was just trying. I, yeah, I, I, just for anybody listening, it's like I love my kid very much. And it's just it's very frustrating because we're not communicating in the same language. She's incredibly intelligent, but um, it's the understanding of the world, and it feels, and I'm sure I feel like a toddler to a lot of people, you know, <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you, so. Oh, no, maybe that should be the takeaway from our podcast tonight is maybe you sound like a, or maybe I sound like a toddler to somebody else. Think about that. Uh, so, Tim, since you've got, got to run, oh, go ahead, sorry. That's that's the categorical imperative is, is uh, you know what? If I think this person could be an ass, it's possible that I'm being an ass or a toddler. You know, and, yeah. you know, so, it's like you know, babies are needful, and they're incapable of helping themselves. But toddlers, that's the you're be, you're being a real toddler. It's like, <laughs> yeah, are you hungry? Yeah, are you gonna eat these? No. <laughs> and it's like you got to pass that, and this, there's tactics for doing that that respect the person's agency and help with past discrepancies of knowledge. And and it's possible that you are also yourself doing that. So I think it's also just being humble, right? Yes. And say, I don't know everything um, and I have something to gain. You know, the pain saying the purpose is to instruct and not destroy. Sometimes it's also to learn. And then that's where, you know, when I say um, listening to understand, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that's how you make progress. <laughs> understanding and of course I, I feel like i've been very interrupted because i'm a little bit rushed here but, oh you're uh, good yeah and I, I hope i'm getting at the point you're going for. oh yeah uh I, if i can try and put a bow on it a little more succinctly here it's i think you're saying that uh yeah you may have more knowledge than the toddler but uh simply imparting that on them might not work <laughs> It's, uh, you got to understand where they're coming from and uh, where they're trying to go from there. Well, and, and a lot of the things they do make sense in a, a tabula rasa kind of way. And it's kind of like the language constructs, and that gets more to the language study, but it's like um, the way that she synthesizes words, she's got a huge vocabulary. The way she synthesizes words and concepts, like when she was not even, uh, she was about a little over one, I want to say. She would say, want to take off bath. <laughs> and it, meaning, I want to get out of the bathtub. Yep. But she had to say, get out of the bathtub. She just said, take off bath. And yep. it's, it's stuff like that, where it's like, she knows what she's trying to communicate, but we're not understanding each other. But I mean, it was obvious in that context, but there's other cases where it's like, you know, last week she was like, don't bustle me. I was like, what's that? It's bustle, <laughs> you know, like, but it's just trying to understand and, and understanding other people. I, so another thing. So I've been to um, one of the best trips I ever took in my life was going to a wedding in Taiwan. Uh, a hmm. friend of mine named, uh, native of Taiwan and uh, currently serving in the U.S. Army and has dual citizenship. His wife was also born in Taiwan. And so he was like, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to get a bunch of people together and go, um, you know, get married in Taiwan and then we're going to go through the country. I'm like, you know, me being the, the world traveler and worldly uh, lover of all things worldly, 
thought this was a great idea, and it was. And um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of the most humbling and I think uh, empathy-building experiences that I had was being illiterate as somebody who knows how to read or what it means to know how to read. Wow. And being in this place where it's like there's all these symbols everywhere and I know that they mean something, I have no idea what they mean. And it's, it's, and like, you know, everyone, just, everyone else is just walking around knowing what it is. But it gives me sympathy for people who can't read and, um, you know, people who have a different understanding. Because for me, it was very humbling because I was entirely dependent on my friends that spoke and read Chinese, which they were there. And it was awesome because I got the benefit of their experience. And, and um, I just, I love cultural exchange. I love going and seeing foreign places and foreign people. And, um, which is really a great experience. So that's that awesome. To be, yeah. Just cause like I said, you know, do you want to, uh, do our close out here? Do you want to keep going for a little bit? Uh, I, yeah, I probably got to close. Okay. <laughs> so as I said, we've got, and I know it's weird cause it's Monday, but, uh, you don't have to limit it to a good thing of the week. It can be a good thing of really 2021 so far, Get, hell, it could even be a thing of 2020, but uh, what's, I guess, just something that you're happy about at this moment? Um, well, I I don't think I've ever made brown gravy from scratch before, and uh, I just did that tonight to make poutine with not cheese curds, but the best I could come up with. <laughs> There's a Colorado um, uh, cooking, I, guess, I think it's just Colorado called Plague Chef, and it's just like, you know what? If you threw together this shit and that shit and made a, you know, a Monte Cristo or whatever, you know, it's just like, like, show us your, your train wreck that you turned into a, <laughs> you know what, I'm, I couldn't find cheese curds anywhere in like three different stores and I was really frustrated because they should be there. Yeah, that's odd. And I made brown gravy and it was real good. And uh, we got deep fryer and I'm, I'm way too fat to own a deep fryer already, but um, that was good. I'm really happy about that. I'm really happy with my kid. Really I'm developed with this gun project I'm working on, and, um, and all the the animal husbandry that I've become. I've learned that I really like keeping chicken. The uh, the the gravy sounds good. I uh, say I'm a, I too am a fat guy. Um, if you'll allow that, I'll call you fat. Um, but I am a I heavy will. guy. Uh, <laughs> I have been avoiding things like gravy for the past couple of years because I went into at a physical actually almost three years ago. Jesus Christ! Now it was two years. Now it was three years ago. <laughs> Backtrack. Where they were like, "Wow, uh, your blood pressure is really high." Like they, were, they weren't even sure I should go home. I was like, "Oh crap!" Like, and I knew I had like you know the whole like family history and all that stuff and. I was also very unhealthy at that point, but I've been avoiding it since then. Like my blood pressure is in the good high range now, but, uh, so I, <laughs> it does sound good. Plus, I don't know if you know this about me, but, uh, I'm actually a Wisconsin boy. I was born in Wisconsin. And so cheese curds are a, a thing I, I really like. We, we're close to the border here in Seattle, so we have poutine. Um, and I'm going to say this right now because Michelle's going to do most of the editing for this podcast, but I'm pretty sure your daughter 
is going to be mainly the star of this podcast towards the end because that was yeah. ridiculously cute. Uh, yeah. I'm going to dovetail my good thing of the week, which is I think I, I did hit a 10-week streak this evening for not just exercise, but almost daily exercise. So I'm not as fat as I once was. Uh, I gained a little weight because of COVID. But not, I, well, let's go back to this, Tim. Agency. I gained a little weight because I got lazy during COVID. <laughs> yeah. And uh, between the exercise and just reading more, I've, as I said, like playing less video games. I just feel a lot better. So that's my yeah. good thing is so far of 2021. I thank you very much for joining me here, Tim. Uh, I think. Can you as, forgive me for being born in Illinois? Oh, of course. Uh, my. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's not even forgive thing. My mom's <laughs> side of the family, they're all from Rockford, Illinois. Okay. Um, most of them live in DeKalb now at this point, but. Uh, I probably spent, after we moved away when I was very, not very young, I was seven, um, when I was young, we probably spent more time with my mom's side of the family in Illinois than I did with my dad's parents in Wisconsin. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm cool with Illinois. <laughs> yeah. In fact, like you talked about before with, uh, you know, RBG and uh, Scalia being friends, even though they disagree with stuff. My grandpa, a rabid Packers fan, which, not to go too long here, him and my grandma were actually born in, actually born and raised in Minnesota, so there's that. <laughs> he always talked about how much he respected the Bears because Vince Lombardi and George Hallis would ride to games together. It's like, yep, we did. Yeah. Love of the game is a great great thing i think to end on it's like that's what we really need is love of the game yes love the game and don't sort yourselves like yeah. <laughs> allow yourselves to you know focus on the things you like instead of the things that uh you claim to dislike if that's a thing hey treat, treat c-span like espn you know that's sports center <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good tip good thanks tim i really appreciate this um we'll have to get you on because Michelle actually studied like German in college. So between yeah. your knowledge and she has a master's degree in history, I think nice. she focused a lot on not just the Holocaust but on like European history. You guys well, would we, have she and I, yeah, we should have a we should get together again and have a talk about like Oswald Spengler and the Weimar Republic and stuff because there's a whole lot of really good yeah uh, well good slash horrifying parallels right now. So, <laughs> but yeah, thanks again, Tim, and uh, get back to that uh, very funny daughter you have. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. My pleasure, and uh, look forward to next time. Absolutely. Maybe I'm late for something. Maybe I'm late.